You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. I want to begin by thanking many of you who have uh, sent me information about where to find cows over in Niagara-on-the-Lake this week. I feel a special, special amount of love. Thank you for that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's because you weren't in church last week. Don't have time to go over it. But anyway, just a little thank you for those of you who have been looking out for me. Appreciate that. Several years ago, a uh, close relative of mine suffered a very serious medical episode that caught us all off guard. And uh, while I'm happy to be able to report to you that they've recovered, they're, they're doing well, and have now for some time been doing well, I can tell you also that when that happened, it prompted me to get reacquainted with my family doctor and to go for one of those their physicals. Now, I would say there's, there's a lot of things I'd rather do in life, something painful, than go for a physical. Uh, there's, there's nothing terribly edifying about being poked and prodded and then given a frank assessment of your physical fitness. Not something I'm really eager to do. However, I did it because, here's the reality, early detection of serious problems goes a long way to preserving and promoting health. And while that's true in terms of our physical body, I would also say it's true in terms of the church body. If upon examination, and Revelation 2 and 3 is a kind of examination, if upon examination there are signs of trouble, the last thing you want to do is just try to ignore it, pretend it's not there, or put off dealing with it. But sadly, this is what so often happens. It happens corporately, it happens personally, where we are confronted with things that are not good, that are not healthy. We are, uh, we are exposed as having illness among us, spiritual illness among us. And often, wildly, while we know it's to our detriment to leave it lay, so often that's what we do. But really, the whole part of the whole purpose of this series that we're going through in Revelation 2 and 3, it's kind of like going to the doctor, going to the physician, going to the great physician. And he is, uh, as we study these letters through Revelation 2 and 3, it really is a kind of church checkup where while they're written to seven historical churches, uh, there's clear application, in fact, direct, a direct call for the churches to pay attention to what the Lord is saying. And they are essentially reports of Jesus' findings upon examining these ancient churches that also by the Spirit he's examining current churches but just like ours. And so what we're doing is we're kind of going to the great physician and he's uh, showing us what's going on. There's points of serious encouragement here. There's uh, points of, of serious hope for us, but there's also important exhortation and correction that we are, encount- are encountering. And some of us, for these, these sermons are landing on us in different ways. Some indeed are encouraging for you, but maybe you have found one, maybe two of these sermons have been especially convicting. Uh, Whatever the case may be, whether you feel encouraged or convicted or both, as we're going through these letters, it's vitally important that we're hearing the great physician because he's out for our health as a local church. That's what we want, isn't it? We want to be healthy, don't we? We want to be fruitful. We want to make our lives count in this generation in which God has placed us. And so we're wise to ask, in what ways are we healthy? In what ways is the Lord showing us that we have sicknesses? 
Now today we're going to the sixth church in these seven letters, so we're almost there, we're almost finished our tour. Today we're going to Philadelphia, not the home of the, the Eagles or the 76ers or the Flyers, but we're going to the ancient city of Philadelphia uh, in Asia Minor, which is located in present-day Turkey, to a church that Jesus commended. In fact, not only did he commend it, but he had nothing but good things to say about them. Now that ought to grab our attention. We're going to hear Jesus talk about a church, and he's, he's got nothing but good things to say about them. So they're, they're kind of a model church, right? If Jesus has got nothing but good things to say, that ought to grab our attention. It gives us sit up and listen. They were a healthy church that Jesus heartily commended. Of the seven churches, only two of them were not rebuked by Jesus. So he, he had nothing but good things to say, but only two churches, Smyrna, the suffering church in Smyrna, and the church at Philadelphia. Now, just a little spoiler alert. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to Laodicea. And when Jesus went to Laodicea, he had nothing good to say about them. Okay, so, so quite a contrast. So just, you know, you might want to weigh that when you get up next Sunday morning and just pray the Lord give you strength to show up at church and hear what he's got to say to them. But today, we're looking at it. So next week, the church, Jesus got nothing good to say about them. Today, he's got nothing but good things to say about them here in Philadelphia. And so let's see what this is. Let's look at this, this model of health, this, this physically, this spiritually fit church in Revelation 3. And our text is Revelation 3, verses 7 to 13. Revelation 3, verses 7 to 13. And as you're turning there, I'm just going to take you to a map here. It's been, this is long overdue, this map here. I'm no geographer. But I think it's kind of helpful to just sort of see uh, that this, these are real places. These are real churches, historically, 2,000 years ago. And uh, my thanks to Shane Reed for helping me put this together here. And uh, we've got here a map. Now, this is, this is Asia Minor. If you were traveling there today, you'd find yourself in Turkey, present-day Turkey. Now, Turkey's been in the news this week, right, tragically. Uh, we are over here in this part of, of Turkey, and if you're wondering, okay, where the epicenter for the earthquake is like a thousand kilometers that way, okay? So we're, we're right in the very west side of present-day Turkey, and uh, we've got here, we've got the island of Patmos. See where my finger is there? That little, that's the island of Patmos, and the relevance of that island in our study is this, is that that's where John was when he was writing Revelation, and uh, he wasn't there on vacation, like he wasn't at the beach snorkeling with the family. No, he was sent there to slave to hard labor uh, because of his testimony for Jesus. It was, a, it was a place of punishment, the island of Patmos. It's kind of like, like the ancient Alcatraz, right? You're sent out to an island on the water, right? Well, of course, it's on the water. That's what an island is. But you get the idea. It was a terrible place to be. And here's the other thing, too. John, the apostle, uh, he's no spring chicken, He's quite elderly. In fact, he's probably older than most of, if not everybody in this room. If you are, uh, if you are north of 85, not sure if that's you or not, I'm not looking at anybody in particular, I have no idea. But if you're north of 85, okay, you and John, that, that's where John was in life. He was quite elderly. Think about that as a word for you in terms of your life and your mission. It ain't over till Jesus says it's over. Stick that one in your pipe and smoke it, as my grandfather used to say. <laughs> Here we've got, we've got the, the ancient postal route, okay? Starts in Ephesus, then goes to Smyrna, then goes to Sardis, then goes to Philadelphia, and then goes down to Laodicea. I missed one, didn't I? Thyatira, where's Thyatira? Oh, it's up here. Here we go. Ephesus, Smyrna, 
Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Do you see that? See, it goes, it goes all the way around there. That's the seven churches, right? Right in order. So you just get out an ancient map and be like, I can tell you right now what the, the order is, or you can sort of think of that in your mind. You think, why would I do that? I just want you to see these are real places. Real places. This is not fantasy land. This is not spiritual make-believe. These were real historical churches. There's, there's a real historical Jesus who spoke to a real historical John the Apostle, and he's got a real message for us that you and I ought to apply. What was said to these churches was real, was for them, and whether they listened or didn't listen, it had an impact on the future. And we know that for many of these corrections, it seems if they were temporarily obeyed, in the long run, it seems to have been neglected because this whole area, which was once bustling with Christian activity, was a launch pad for the gospel to the nations. Things have gone very dark, very dark. There are believers there, and God is doing some remarkable things there. But it's a dark place, and it's in the grip of the devil under Islam. So it's good for us to take heed, isn't it? And here we are in Laodicea. Or sorry, Laodicea is next week. Here we are. I'm just, I'm just getting ahead of myself. Here we are in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. I, don't, I have a thing against Philadelphia. I know it's supposed to be a good thing, but I can't. I hate the Flyers. I hate the Phillies. I, just, my biggest, I can't cheer for the Eagles tonight because it's from Philadelphia. So I, anyway, here we are in Philadelphia. But it's, i got to remind myself. I have to discipline myself to remember this is the good church in Philadelphia. The city of what? The city of... Brotherly love, that's right. It's called that because the word Philadelphia means love of brethren. And it was named that because a, one of the, the founding king that established it named it in honor of his brother whom he loved. Isn't that sweet? Really, really nice, really kind. It was established, though, as a missionary city. Now, now what we mean by that is not missionary in terms of, of advancing the gospel. That's what God's purpose is. But the, the ancient king established it as a missionary city to bring Greek culture to the region. Now think about that being a believer in ancient Philadelphia, and you know the city is there to bring, the, to bring the Greece to the region. Well, why is the church there? Well, to bring Christ to the region. And that is what these believers did, as we will see in a few moments. But it was not an easy place to bring Christ to the people, to the region. It was known for its many temples, uh, pagan temples and pagan religious festivals. And there was an active uh, Jewish community there who were antagonistic toward believers. But the believers were faithful. You look and see for yourself, verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, here's what Jesus has to say. The words of the Holy One. All these letters begins with a portrait of Jesus. Here's the portrait. He's the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have 
so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what's going on in a church where Jesus has no complaint? He's got nothing but good things to say to them. What, what are the marks of a commended church, commended by Jesus? I'm going to suggest to you there's three. Number one, the commended church is marked by a conviction about who Jesus is. What kind of a church is it that Jesus has nothing but good things to say to them? They are a people who live with a conviction about who Jesus really is. They're marked by conviction about Christ. Convicted of the, the truths of the portrait here. Notice Jesus reveals himself in three particular ways to them. First of all, he says he's the holy one. He's the holy one. That is to say he is, he is set apart in the fullest sense. He's without sin. He's without error, yes. But he's also completely other in terms of his person and glory. And what, what a picture for the saints in Philadelphia to feast their eyes on. While they were doing well and being faithful, it was a hard place to be a Christian. There was, as you can detect from the text, it was, there was significant opposition and slander and persecution aimed at the believers in a cultural rift with sexual immorality and pagan idolatry. Jesus shows up and reminds them that he's the holy one. Not only that, he's also the true one. In a pluralistic society, one like the Philadelphians lived in, one like we live in, what a, what a truth for us to get our eyes on, that Jesus is the true one. In him is the truth. From him comes the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And while there's many, uh, there's many competing truths that we encounter in our world, and people talk about, well, my truth is this. Let's just get, let's just get real clear. When we're talking about the ultimate truth, ultimate reality of things, it really finds its root, its source in Christ He's also the sovereign one. He talks about having the key of David. It's a, uh, it's a reference to the Old Testament, to Isaiah 22. And the idea of a key, when you, when, you, when you see in Scripture mention of keys, it's often a symbol of authority. And we get that, don't we? I mean, whoever's got the keys to the car, it's got authority over that. Whoever's got keys to the house or keys to the building, it's a, it's a kind of authority where you have access and you can open the door to let people in. You can close the door to not let people in. You've got the key. The picture here of, of Jesus having the keys of David, David, the great ancient king in Israel, he's the one who has authority. He is the sovereign one over everything. He opens doors and closes them, and no one can open a door that he closes. No one can shut a door that he opens. Get that in your head, Christian. You serve a powerful Savior who holds the keys even today. It's an awesome thing. So, so think about this. We've got this, this amazing presentation of Jesus. Think about these believers. Difficult place to be a Christian. Lots of confusion. Lots of immorality. 
Lots of truth claims that are not real truth claims going on around. Feeling often weak. I don't know if you can relate or not. Maybe it's just a merely a history lesson. I'm sure it's just history. I mean, we can't relate at all, right? Think about this. What is Jesus showing us here? Listen, that he's got this. And you, you, you got to keep your eyes on him. Been a while since you had your eyes on Jesus. Good thing you showed up at church today. It's one of the reasons we show up here is to get our eyes on Jesus. But also to be, be challenged by this. Be challenged by this. We, we will never stand out as lights in the midst of darkness if we're not gripped by the holiness of Jesus. We'll never have an impact on our world if we're not gripped by the truth of Jesus, like convinced that the truth of the gospel. We'll never see souls saved or lives changed or the gospel advanced if we don't have faith in the sovereign, powerful working of Christ. Amen. Philadelphia was commended for their works because they believed in this Jesus. That's how they got there. They were, there weren't some super spiritual Christians that had some special juice in their communion services. They weren't just sort of naturally born with spiritual sensitivities. No, they were born again, just like you. And they had their eyes on a savior who reveals himself to them just as he reveals himself to us. And in keeping our eyes on him, there we find power, there we find strength, there we find encouragement, there we find sobriety in our minds, there we find our orientation in this life. It's Jesus. That's the portrait. That's the portrait. Now, the next thing is we've seen the, the patterns often. It goes from, um, from the portrait to the positives. And here we hear Jesus directly commend them. Verse 8, he says, I know your works. Now, remember last week in Sardis, Jesus said, I know your works, period, no comment. Well, Philadelphia, it's different. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word and not denied my name. It's powerful here what Jesus says about an open door. He said, I've set before you an open door. There are some that argue that the reference here to an open door speaks of an open door to heaven for believers, that that door is open for them, and because it's open to them by faith in Christ, that it will never be shut. I would say that's plausible. That, that's plausible. I'm not going to argue long against that because, well, primarily because it's true. It's a biblical truth. I don't think, though, in this verse, that's what Jesus is talking about. I don't think he's talking here, firstly, about their salvation. I think the open door instead is referring to their mission, to their mission. There's several times in Scripture where we hear the, the picture of a, of a door or of an open door speaking to or being used in reference to mission and ministry. Like... 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul talks about having a wide open door for effective work was open for him. 2 Corinthians 2 and 12, Paul said that God opened the door for the gospel to go to Troas. Colossians 4, 3, Paul asked for prayer. He asked for prayer that God may open a door, may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Many times in scripture we see this picture of the open door as speaking to an open door for ministry. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think that not only because of the broader biblical usage of an open door, but even right here, the reference to open door is given in relation to their works. I know your works, verse 8. Behold, I have set before you an open door. 
See, you're, you're working, you're ministering, you're, you're being faithful. That, that's what they were too, right? He said, I know you have a little power. So they're not, they're not big power brokers. They're not a wealthy church, right? It's not filled with the smartest people on the planet. Just, just ordinary people. They feel pretty weak. They kind of, in the world's perspective, are weak. They don't have a whole lot of resources perhaps. But they got Jesus. That's all they need. He says, I know you have a little power, and yet you have noticed, kept my word. See what I mean? So he got this open door. He's talking about their works. He's talking about keeping the word of Jesus, doing, in other words, what he commands that we do. Now, we could think in terms of the particulars of our lives, living lives set apart unto Jesus. But again, I think the emphasis here is on mission. And it's at this point we stand back and realize this, the second thing that Jesus is commending them for. We saw that the, the first mark of a commended church is they are, well, they have some conviction about who Jesus is. But a second mark here about a commended church is that they have a commitment to what Jesus commands. They have a commitment to what Jesus commands. And we can see here that this is a church that quite evidently, apparently, is very much on mission. The Lord has opened a door for them. And what, do you, what does a, a commended, committed, faithful believer do when the Lord opens a door? You walk through it. You walk through it. Here's an opportunity. God is open to us. And so they step through it. I think what Jesus is saying here is, listen, I've given you an opportunity. And try as he might, the devil has tried to shut this door, but he can't shut a door I've opened. So I've opened the door, and it seems that they have been faithful, and they've walked through it. Notice he says that you've not denied my name. You see that at the end of verse 8? You see that? You've not denied my name. So I take that to, I infer from that, there's pressure to deny the name of Jesus. And don't you feel that sometimes? Some opposition, some, some relationships that start going wobbly when Jesus starts coming out in the conversation. We kind of feel that broadly speaking, sometimes in our classroom, sometimes in our workplace, sometimes just in our neighborhood. But what does the commended Christian do? What does the commended church do? We don't deny Jesus. That doesn't mean we do it perfectly. Remember Peter? Peter had a can't believe I did that moment. You ever had that in your Christian life? I can't believe I just did that. He denied Jesus. Denied him three times. On the most important night in human history. Blew it. But he didn't end that way, did he? The Lord restored him. The Lord used him mightily. And you do that for you too. Maybe you read that and you get a, just a pang goes into your heart. Man, I've dropped the ball. Listen, listen, you still got a pulse, don't you? The Holy Spirit still dwells in you. There's a door open for you, baby. Just walk through it. Jesus calls us to that. The commended church is marked by this, a commitment to doing what Jesus commands. And indeed, what does he command but the proclamation of the gospel? That disciples be made. I did just a quick survey this week of all the gospels, of all four gospels, and confirmed that it's still there, hasn't moved anywhere, still there. Luke 24, 47, Jesus commanded that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to all nations. Gospel of Mark chapter 16, we're commanded that gospel is to go into all the world. John 21, Jesus commanded that we go. Said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Matthew 28, most familiar to us because we preached at lots here. Go make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. It's there. What's, what, is God, what does the Lord Jesus command of us? But that we be faithful to proclaim him. 
The Lord Jesus commends a church that is marked by a commitment to do what he commands. To be committed means that we're committed without excuse. I'm pretty good at coming up with excuses for things. Maybe you are too. Perhaps you're not. We and I can't relate, but the rest of us, maybe you can. Come up with excuses about why this isn't a good time, why this wouldn't be convenient for me, why this would be way better for somebody else to be doing and not me. You ever, maybe anybody else ever feel some of that? Feel some of that? Okay, eight or nine of you. All right, I'm preaching to you, right? But here's a challenge for me. Here's a challenge. You feel it too? Jesus says to them, he says, I know that you have but little power. Now, don't you think that would be a great excuse to not do ministry? Lord, we're so weak. We've got no, have you seen our budget? Let's, why don't you send a team over from Ephesus? They got all kinds of money over there. Well, because it put you there. Okay, so, so no excuses. I don't know what excuses you come up with. Maybe you feel you don't have enough time, don't have enough skill. But here's the thing. When you think about the things that are working against you in your life, think about this. Oftentimes, the things that are working against you in your life are things that God uses for his glory to promote Jesus. Here's a principle. Understand this, dear Christian, that obstacles are often opportunities. Obstacles are often opportunities. When you have some unwelcome, unwanted, uneasy change in your life, it's often an occasion when the Lord is opening a door for you for maybe a new ministry, another opportunity, getting you in contact with people you weren't previously in contact with. Why, why, is, why is this happening to me right now? Well, maybe God is opening a door for you. What feels like a shut door might actually be an open one. One of the things he does when he brings us into hardship in our lives is he strengthens our dependence on him. And sometimes puts us into a place where he can take, put the gospel in your mouth and by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's heard by someone who needs Jesus in a way it wouldn't be heard if it's coming from my mouth. Because there's some pain, there's some disappointment, there's some devastation that you've experienced and that is a bridge, it's a weird bridge, it's an unwanted bridge, but it's a bridge that's there and all of a sudden, they, they can come and listen to me 100 Sundays out of 100 weeks but they hear it from your mouth. And the Holy Spirit takes that and uses it because they feel like they can relate to you. You can, you can understand me because you've been through what you've been through. Sometimes obstacles in our lives are opportunities. Puts you in contact with people that you might not otherwise have been in contact with. I think of a friend of mine telling me about uh, a serious medical episode. He got cancer in his kidney and ended up in the hospital and there in his hospital bed, he's witnessing to his roommate. Now think about that. And some of you have been there. It's just like him and this guy would never have met, never have met, except for they both had the same, a similar calamity in their life. And there they are side by side. And God, what are you doing? God's doing a thousand things, okay? I'm not saying it's just because of this one thing. He's always doing all kinds of things. But there's one thing, a significant obstacle it's a serious opportunity. And it's biblical too, right? It's biblical. Jesus could testify. Think about the dying thief. Think about the dying thief. What are the chances that the dying thief shows up in one of Jesus' services? But there they are. There they are, dying on the cross. And in his dying moments, a man turns to him. 
Obstacles are often opportunities. Let me ask you this. Is there an obstacle in your life right now that you have just been seeing as an obstacle, but maybe, maybe as an opportunity? You're connected with somebody you weren't previously connected with. Somebody is more inclined to listen to you who wouldn't have listened before. You're in a new place now, with new people and new opportunities. Well, this is what, this is what a commended church, a commended Christian does, is we, we, we're committed to what Jesus commands without excuse. We're committed to what Jesus commands without evasion, without evasion. Jesus says to them, he said, you've kept my word, you've been obedient, you've been obedient to me. When sometimes we look for ways out, right, and look, we look for those excuses, we, we sometimes feel those excuses and, and kind of look for a way out. A young person would think to themselves, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, we've got opportunity to serve the Lord later in life. Or a person who's got a family, a growing family, just like, I, I just don't have time. There'll be more time later on at a different time. Maybe the empty nester says, you know, I've done my bit. Some of our senior saints feel like, feel wrongly, feel like, I just can't do it. I just can't do what I used to do. Make a note of this, loved ones. Every stage is a platform. In your life, every stage is a platform. We're to be committed without excuse, without evasion. Every stage in life is a platform. For the young person, God has given you opportunities in your clubs, in your sports teams, in your classrooms, in your friendship circles, in your communities to testify to Jesus, to adorn the gospel before people that people like me will never have time with. Never. For, the young, for young parents in the room, yeah, it's an Olympic effort just getting through the day. Totally get it. Totally get it. Just physically exhausting. At the end of the day, thank you, Lord, we made it. We made it. And we're all still living. But understand this, that that stage you're in is a platform. Many parents, many young, when you've got young kids, I've been there, you feel so handcuffed. Not, I mean, they're little blessings. All, we get that. We're not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about you feel like, I just got no time for anything. Just getting through the day. But recognize, just stop and look around you. What is God doing in you right now? You have an opportunity. Here's what I found. I found when our kids were little, I'd meet people I'd never otherwise meet. Standing at the playground, pushing the swing for the 14th time. Pushing the swing, stand there. Oh, you're doing the same thing. All of a sudden, somebody I would never, I would never have talked to this person except we got something common in life now. Or down at the pool and swim lessons, whatever, getting around these other moms, go to the mom and tot swim. That was, that was a great time, a great time. But you, you, get, you make connections you wouldn't otherwise have, have made. Every stage is a platform. Empty nesters, you've got some perspective, you've got some flexibility to make your lives a blessing to younger people and to older people to serve both in and out of the church. Senior saints, you may be in a different place in life and you may feel some things that aren't biblical feelings, but understand this. You have a level of clout and influence that God has given you. I know you spend a lot of time denying it and think it's not real, but it is real. And God has given you, he's given you something that many others feel like they don't have, and that is time. You say, well, Ross, I think you, I think you are out of touch because you don't see my time is running short. No, 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 all of our time is running short. But you have some time now to do some things that are pillar-like activities, like pray, like encourage, and let's not overlook the realities of opportunities for evangelism. For our senior saints, you are connected to people who are, who knows, probably, chances are, closer to eternity than the rest of the population. 
What are you going to do with that? Jesus commends the believer, commends the church, who's committed to what he commands without evasion. And we're committed without embarrassment. Notice he says, you've not denied my name. They face the opposition, the, head, the opposition, the head shaking, the scorn, the ridicule. Did that keep them quiet? Did, that keep, did they shut up? No, they didn't. They were faithful. They didn't hold back. I wonder, do you sometimes hold back? Loved one, ask the Lord to help you to not do it. Understand this principle. Our biggest regrets in life may be the things that we didn't do. I know we got regrets of the things we did do. Praise God, Jesus died for those things. But lots of us, some of our biggest regrets can be the things that we didn't do. As the Lord opened doors to care for people, to connect with people, to communicate the gospel. Just wonder what we're doing with that. You know, I think of, I think of my, my in-laws, and uh, I love my in-laws. I don't know how you feel about your in-laws. I just, I don't believe in luck, but if luck's a thing, I lucked out. God was good to me. They're just terrific people, and I get along with them really well. And uh, I like them a lot. And they're just going through a, a season of change right now where they're moving uh, out of the neighborhood they're in to a new community. And um, as they're doing that, I just reflect, just think about this this morning, that you know, where they have been, they have really, in my opinion, taken advantage of the opportunity God has given them at this stage in life. As empty nesters, as now seniors, they're in their neighborhood. When they moved into their neighborhood, there wasn't anybody around. But in the years, in the 20 or so years they lived there, it's really built up and all kinds of young families have come in. So here's these old people, not old, but old, old people. Hi, they're old. And <laughs> living in, and they're, now, easy to sit back in your rocking chair and say, well, I just can't relate. But you know what? That's not what they did. They looked around, they looked and saw the Lord giving them opportunities. So what did they do? Well, dad, when he was able to, would be over snow-blowing out driveways. This young family, little baby, out snow-blowing out the driveway, right? Well, you know what that speaks to, right? Parents, you got little ones, right? You just, just get them in the snowsuit, let alone in the car, and then you got a shovel. It's done. What love? Baking stuff. Baking. Now, if I bake something for somebody, ain't nobody coming to Jesus, okay? <laughs> but my, my mom, I mean, she bakes stuff. Oh, oh. It's like, it's like she, when we're in heaven, she will be baking the pumpkin pie telling you. Baking stuff for people and, and, and look, helping the babysit. You say, well, what, what does that do? Well, here's what it did. One day they're out in the yard and the family from next door comes over and they had recently just shared something about Jesus. One of the visitors just over there just said something about Jesus and how much they love him and the hope they have in him. And the neighbor comes over and says, and listen, listen, says, I've been thinking about what you said and I, I wonder if that's what we're missing over here. Isn't that something? So it gets me to thinking, what opportunity has God opened me, opened for me? I'll tell you just a little story here, and I'll try and finish my sermon on time, okay? There's a guy that God put in my life a number of years ago. We, we met. Um, for some reason, he, he got, we were doing some uh, community outreach where we, we used to live, and and uh, not for some reason, I know why we were doing it, I just can't remember the whole, all the, I don't want to get all the circumstances around it, but anyway, he showed up at this thing with his child, and he, we just hit it off. He's, a, uh, he's a, an academic, he's a PhD in something or other, and a uh, super smart guy, and I just enjoyed talking to him, and, and he's really stretching, but he, is, he has, uh, comes from a very different background, he's a Muslim, and, um, uh, but he's also, he's also a, a just sort of a leading thinker, 
in some reform movements that are happening in Islam. I don't want to get into all the details, but he's an interesting guy. And for whatever reason, we've just hit it off. In fact, I said to him one time, like, I said to him, I, said, I called him my name and I said, you know something that's really funny? They say in Canada, he's not from Canada either, he's from a part of the world where it is illegal to convert to Jesus. So think about that opportunity, it's not illegal here. So he's here and, and we're talking and, and I said to him, I'm like, you know what's really funny? Is like, I said, in our culture, I've heard it said my whole life, there's two things you don't talk about when you're out with people. Religion and politics. And I'm like, that's all you and I ever talk about. <laughs> He's like, yes, it's so true, isn't it? Well, many, many times, many times, I've shared with him the truth about Jesus. He ain't buying it yet. But uh, one year around Easter, he said, he said uh, you know, Ross, I have a, a discussion group. There's a, a group of us get together and we, we talk about different things. I wonder if you'd join us. Now, I have never been invited to a discussion group that talks about certain things. I don't know what I'm getting into, but I'm like, sure. So then he says to me, he follows up with me a little later. He says, I wonder if you could do a little presentation for us. <laughs> okay. He's like, I love your uh, uh, Christian accounting of miracles. Christian account of miracles. Okay. Then it hit me. It's Easter time. Perfect. So I show up. So I put together a little position paper on miracles entitled on the resurrection of Jesus. I show up at this discussion group. And in this discussion group are all these academics and thinkers. There is a guy in the group who in the Islamic world, in the Persian world, is called the Martin Luther of Islam. And he is a leading academic reformer in the Islamic movement. So anyway, I'm feeling super intimidated, but I got my notes, so I make my little presentation with Jesus and the resurrection, and then, listen, for an hour and a half, they ask me questions. I'm like, I'm, I'm not prepared for this, but I am praying, praying, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, use me. Now, I'd love to be able to stand here before you today and say there was a great conversion in that meeting, and we, had, we filled up the baptismal tank and baptized him. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. It hasn't happened. To my knowledge, none of that group has converted to Christ. But a couple of things I want to share with you from that. One, it's amazing to me how God opens doors for ministry. Amen. Like, I, I would never have, I had no idea what I was getting into. But to be able to declare Christ to people from a part of the world where Christ is not declared. But second, I'm mindful of the fact that sometimes I can get away from these things and neglectful. And I thought recently, you know, I've really lost touch with this friend. And then you know what happened this past week? He contacted me and said, let's get together. So what do you do, Christian? You clear the schedule and you get together. Question, what open door has God put before you? The commended church is committed to the commands of Christ to take the gospel to people who need it. And that's what we're called to as well. Do you feel that calling this morning? Do you sense that? Do you know that calling today? Well, as the Lord goes on in verse 9, he gives them some assurances. We'll just do a hop, skip, and a jump through these. I know it's to the chagrin of some, but... Verse 9, he says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Some commentators would regard this as them coming to faith. The Lord assuring them, promising them, there's going to be fruit will come from your labors. I'm not sure if that's what Jesus means, to be honest with you. In the very least, he's telling his people that they will be vindicated. They will be vindicated. There's difficult days in front of us, maybe even more difficult than we know, but you will be vindicated. 
and the, the world would know, Jesus says, that I have loved you. He says in verse 10, because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, some would say that this is a, a, a season, a period of time historically of trial that came on the earth. It's plausible. Others believe it relates to end times, the, the end and the end times tribulation that's to come. Plausible as well. But what I would highlight for you is this, is that as the followers of Jesus Christ, whatever trials may come, and there will be trials come, we can know that in Jesus, the worst of all trials we will be spared from. And that's the trial of God's judgment. We will be spared from it because of Christ. And then he tells them wonderfully, you notice that? He says he's coming soon. I am coming soon. Verse 11, do you see that? I am coming soon. His imminent return, come Lord Jesus. So what do we do? Verse 11, he says, hold fast. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. I love this. The, the crown here being seized is rewards. It's reward. rewards for, for ministering, for serving the Lord. I love this picture here because like, it's, it's like Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to do this. The gospel's going to go forward. People are going to get saved. I am going to build my church. The question is, do you want to be part of it? Or will I give your assignment to somebody else? See, if we're not committed to it, if we're making excuses and we're evading it or we're too embarrassed, the Lord will give the crown and the joy and the pleasure to someone else. Uh, here's where I'm at. I want us to get the crown. I want us to experience the joy. I want us to be on the front rows with our hands and feet dirty, seeing King Jesus do what King Jesus does in this world. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to be sitting in heaven hearing stories about his glory. I want to be part of telling the stories. Here's what we saw Jesus do at Hope Niagara. Isn't that what you want? So then we got to be committed to what he commands. We've got to be serious about this. Loved ones, we've got to get it in our heads that we are here for a reason. And the, one of the dangers that the church, broadly speaking, runs into, and I would, with trembling, say is running into often, is an ingrownness. But to be very careful in, one, it's true, we are called to be set apart from the world in holiness. Amen? Amen? But we're called to go to the world with the gospel, with good news. There is, just, I just get whiffs of this, just waft past my nose sometimes, of a kind of isolationism where the church feels in the midst of the pressure of the changing culture, like we need to retreat back here and just hunker down and stay safe till Jesus comes. I still believe that's faithful. And I do not believe that's what we're called to. We're called to go. We're called to be in the world, not of the world. We're called to take gospel, the gospel to hurting people. I don't want us to miss out on an open door of opportunity the Lord has set before us. Because we've fallen into a thinking that says, in order to be set apart from Christ, we can have nothing to do with the world that's around us. Call to holiness? 100%. 101%. 1,000%. But call to mission, too. Well, that's a scary thing, so how are we going to do that? Well, I'm going to close with this. 
the commended church. It's marked by conviction about who Jesus is, a commitment to what Jesus commands, commitment to what Jesus commands. Thirdly, finally, commended church gets its courage from what Jesus promises. Gets its courage from what Jesus promises. I want you to note three things. Now, here's what we're going to do. Hold up your fingers. Hold three fingers, okay? Hold, you don't have to. If you knew, you don't have to, but please do it. Just humor me, okay? Three fingers, all right? One, two, three. You ready? This is what my mom used to do. Even my wife has done this to me. Remember this? Remember this? Well, exactly, but anyway. Remember this. Number one. He says in verse, uh, verse 12, he says, he says, well, hold, hold my finger. My hand's getting tired. Just hang on. You're all right. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, from my God out of heaven. And my own new name, the name of God. He will write God's name on you. There you go, first one, your pinky, or your index finger. My pinky's over here, index finger. He says, I will put my name on you. What does that mean? You're mine. When you put your name on something, what are you doing with it? You say, it's mine, right? You, your kids go off to camp, whatever. You write their names and all kinds of stuff. What? Because you want it back. It's marked as theirs. Jesus puts his name. He says, I put my name on you. You're mine. Second, New Jerusalem. Heaven is your home. Heaven is your home. You're mine, Jesus says. Heaven is your home. Third, he says, I'm writing you my own new name. What's that speaking of? Well, What's the new name? <laughs> I think we'll find out someday soon. But it speaks of, I believe, the revelation of Jesus that we will receive when we're with him. We'll see something more of who he is, the fullness of his glory. And what's this po is pointing to? It's pointing to the fact that in the end, ultimately, our real reward is him. So we've got three things here. Get your mind. Heaven is your home. Jesus says, I am your great reward. You got that? One, two, three. Three. Now, why are we holding up fingers? And most of you aren't anyway. It's just me and a handful of us right here. Here we are. We're doing it. Why am I doing it? Because I want you to remember this. Because you're going to step out. You're going to take a bold step tomorrow, and it may not go good. Or in the moment, you may freeze up and say, the Lord's given me an opportunity here. Somebody's just asked me, do you know what the meaning of life is? You're like, that's not going to happen. You watch. You never know. Some of you, it's happened to you. And you can freeze up in the moment. What am I going to do? And it's 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 fear. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You are mine. Heaven is your home. I am your great reward. We got to be afraid of. So go, Lord. Go, loved ones. And be on mission. That's what a commended church looks like. Convicted, convicted about who Jesus is, committed to what he commands, and we gain our courage from what he promises. So my closing question is, what door has the Lord Jesus opened for you? Where do you live? Where do you work? Where do you play? What obstacles are really opportunities? What stage is really a platform? And if you're confused, if you're baffled, if you're just saying, I just don't know, then let's pray right now, right now, and ask the Lord to show us. In fact, we're going to pray right now that the God would not only show us the open doors, but open more doors for us, personally and as a church. And we just pray through this text together.